As many of you know, I often use this time, I start this time by sharing a story from my family life. And if you're here for the first time today, if you've never heard me tell one of these stories, let me just give you a brief overview of my family. My family, I have a wife and I have two daughters. Their ages are six and four. And my family is the great blessing of my life. It is so wonderful. It's so amazing. My family, my family shows me every single day. They prove to me my capacity to love other people. And I thank God for my family. I hope that my family also would say their family life is meaningful. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's incredible. Does everyone understand what I'm saying? That being said, I I have to complain a little bit today about something that often happens in my family life. Prior to children, things happened so quickly. If you needed to go somewhere, you would just get in the car and and you would go. Now, in my family, things tend to move very slow. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like like everything. Like seemingly simple things take much longer than I think they should, than I think they're supposed to. For example, it's time to meet the bus. How long should that take? Hey kids, let's go to the grocery store this morning. Put on your shoes, put on your coats, go to the car. How long should that take? It takes like 90 minutes. <laughs> this happened to anybody else? Is this me? Okay, good. Okay, fine. So, this slowness, if you know me, this slowness is, is contrary to everything I value and stand for. I, I can't have this. I can't have this every day with every little thing. So I decided to do something about it. You know what I've done about it? I'm kind of ashamed to admit it. Um, So let's say we have something to do while we have to go somewhere. Hey kids, let's go to the store. Who can put their shoes on the fastest? Who wants to be a leader? Go! Who can get their coat on first? Who wants to be a leader? Go! Let's race to the car. Who's going to get there first? I think I'm going to win. Let's race. That's what I do. It works. It's working so far. Not with my wife so much. <laughs> but with the kids, this, this, is, this is like gold. And so I'll say, put your shoes on. And who can put their shoes on first? They race. Who can put their coat on first? They run to the coat rack. They get their coats on. They're kind of jostling for position. It's great. They're getting their coats on. And then let's race to the car. They race to the car. And inevitably someone gets there first. And the person that gets there first, they always say something like, I'm the winner. I was first. I'm the leader. And the person that doesn't get there first, they always say the same thing. You know what they say? But it's not a competition. But it's not a competition. Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Is it just me, or does life often feel like a big competition? 
Or maybe a better way to say it, life feels like a series of competitions. And we convince ourselves we have to be there first. We convince ourselves we have to be first, we have to be best, we have to be most. And we're competing. It starts out very young. It starts out in school, right? You need to be better than your peers. You need to rank high in your class. You need to get good grades. You need to make the varsity team. You need to get a scholarship. You need to get into the college of your choice. You need to get a job. And then when you get that job, it's all over, right? Competing is over. You got to get ahead. You got to make your mark. You got to make yourself known. You got to set yourself apart. You got to make partner. You got to make vice president. You got to make president. You got to get tenure. We spend a lot of time competing. And I would say to you that people, human beings, generally speaking, we are competitive by nature. We like being first. Don't we? Who's been to the airport recently? I don't know what it's like at the airport when you go there. When I go there, it it feels like a giant competition. It feels like everyone's trying to be first at everything. First to check in. First to get their bags checked in. First to get through security. And then you get to the gate, and you're in that waiting area in the terminal, and then they announce boarding for your flight. And everyone's suddenly rushing to get on an airplane. I don't understand this. Folks, the lobby's better. The bathrooms are huge. There's seating for everyone. There's cocktails if that's your thing. There's coffee if that's your thing. You can walk around. The kids can run around. But suddenly they call that flight and everyone's desperate to get on this contraption where your knees are up against your nose and you have no elbow space and it's a germ fest. And you already have an assigned seat. Why do people do this? Someone at the last service says, well, I have, to get on, they have to, I have to get on first to get my bag and my overhead compartment. Aren't you proving my point? Because we all want to be first. It's ingrained into our consciousness. And if you don't believe me, if you disagree with me, if you don't think people love being first, if you don't think people are competitive by nature, someday this spring, when the weather's nice, bring a picnic basket, couple of lawn chairs. Let's sit out in the lawn right here and let's watch Stewart Avenue. Just watch it go by. All the cars have the same goal. All the people in those cars have the same goal. They want to be first. They need to get where they're going before anybody else. Do me a favor. Raise your hand if you're competitive. I'm happy that honesty is in play here at the Lutheran Church of the Resurrection. Just so you know, as your pastor, I am not competitive. (laughs) Unless we're playing trivia. And I will crush you. Or if you want to go for a run. You think that's leisure? You think that's fun? Oh, no. This is serious stuff. Let's compete. Let me just check my watch. Oh, look how many steps I have today. More than you. This is how we are. 
This is who we are. We're competitive. And there's nothing wrong with that. People would say, well, this nation was built on that competitive spirit. Someone might say, I was successful in my life because I've ridden on my competitive spirit. I've done what I've done because I've competed a little bit. Awesome. But human beings take it too far. Human beings make it about everything. They make it about the airport. They make it about the road. They make it about exalting themselves at the expense of those around them. But brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. Today we remember that which is most important about us, that which defines us. We remember our place as God's children, brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, united by the blood of Jesus himself. That's who we are, that's what we are. And in the kingdom of God, remember, everything seems upside down. In the kingdom of God, greatness is, to our conception, defined in a way that's illogical, otherworldly, nonsensical. In the kingdom of God, Jesus tells us, greatness is about humility. Being first, being most, being best is about humble servanthood. You've heard this before, haven't you? Our gospel lesson for today. It's about two young men. Their names were James and John. James and John were two of Jesus' twelve disciples. James and John were also brothers. They were sons of a man by the name of Zebedee, and they were fishermen by background. And one day, James and John, as you heard in our gospel lesson for today, they come with they come to Jesus with a request. And there is a clear intention behind their request. What is their agenda? They want to be awesome. They want to be first. They want to be most. They want to be set apart. They want to be exalted above the other ten disciples. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we know you're destined for great things. We know you are a king. And when that day comes, when you take up your kingly throne, our idea is you should have three thrones. You're in the middle, James on your left, John on your right. And we will be number 2A and 2B in the kingdom of God, above all the other peons. What do you think of that? What do you think? This is a real question. What do you think of that request? What do you think of what James and John asked for that day? Arrogant. Entitled. Typical. It makes me angry that they would want to be above the other disciples. It makes me angry they would want to be above us because that's what they're asking for, right? They think they're better than us. Can you believe that? And the Bible tells us the disciples felt the same way. The Bible tells us the disciples were indignant that James and John would ask Jesus such a thing. Why do you think that those other disciples were indignant? Well, because I, I should be first. That, that, that should be my seat. Who do, who, do, 
do James and John think they are? That, that should be Peter's spot. That should be Bartholomew's spot. That should be Jeff Browning's spot. That should be, insert name here, spot. The Bible tells us this isn't the only time this happened. Occasionally, the Bible tells us the disciples would argue. And what would they argue about? And then an argument broke out amongst them about who was the greatest. They all wanted to be first. They all wanted to be most. Set apart. Above. They wanted status. They wanted success. They wanted glory. These things sound familiar, right? And then Jesus responds. And he drops a word on them that is and seems beneath us. A word that is very much a relic of our past in this country. The word that Jesus uses is slave. And we hear that word to our modern ears. Well, we've moved on from that. That word's jarring. That word's offensive. That word represents the worst of what humankind can be. Of how terrible we can treat each other. But Jesus uses that word. And so today we look at that word again. That word slave. Whoever wants to be great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, Jesus says. What is a slave? The most basic, fundamental definition of that word. A slave is one who exists to meet the needs of others. One whose existence is defined by meeting the needs of others. And under that definition, there is one who fulfills it perfectly. One who exists to meet the needs of others. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is first. He is best. He is most. He is the greatest. And it's not a competition. But if it were, we got crushed. We got dominated. You know, I say this thing sometimes when I talk about someone I really admire. I say Christ-like. This person is Christ-like. They did something, they said something, they act in such a way that reveals the love, the glory, the goodness of Jesus Christ. But the problem, the challenge of using that turn of phrase, of using that concept, is when we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, we realize how short, how inadequate, how flawed we really are. Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate servant. Jesus is the perfect slave. The rest of us, well, we're kind of screwed up, to put it bluntly. And we can't top Jesus. We can't. You can't out-humble Jesus. You know, that, that's the thing. You hear this, you hear Jesus say this and says, whoever wants to be great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And I hear this, and immediately my competitive instinct kicks in. I'm going to be the greatest servant that there is. I'm going to outserve you. I'm going to get in more hours than you. I'm going to get my name on that plaque above yours because, meh. No. Look to Jesus. 
because he is the perfect servant. You can't serve better than him. You can't serve better than the one who gave up everything, who gave up the majesty of heaven itself, who stripped himself of his divine glory, came down to this earth, wrapped himself in human flesh, became a baby, became the son of a carpenter and a girl from the village, became by this world's standards no one, nothing, less than nothing. You can't outlove him. You cannot outlove the one who gave his life, who died on a cross as a ransom for many. And you certainly can't outlive Jesus. Before the world was, he was. Before time and space and everything as we know it, there was Jesus. He spoke it into existence. And he will live forever. Jesus is the winner. He is first. He is most. It's not even close. But here's the thing. This Jesus goes to the bottom and lifts you up. He makes you first. In his eyes, you are the greatest because he gave his very best to redeem you from sin and death itself. Jesus was the winner. Jesus is the winner. But he shared his victory with you that moment you were baptized. And make no mistake, when you were baptized, you became destined for greatness. We don't have to tiptoe around that word. We don't have to put on our humble pie faces and say, oh, I don't want to be great at I want to be great. I want you to be great. And God calls us to be great. God inspires us to be great. God has recreated us towards greatness. But you need to understand, I need to understand what greatness is. It's not squeeze as much as you can out of this world. It's not great success necessarily. It's not everything happening according to your plan, according to your dreams. It's not being first, it's not being most, it's not being best. It's not getting there ahead of everyone else. It's not being exalted above everyone else. It's not getting your name on a plaque. It's not winning some competition. Greatness is something very different. It's about servanthood. It's about putting others above yourself. The greatest things we can do in this life, most people will never know about. Most people will never even recognize. But brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, we are called to be great. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You're going to see all kinds of people this week out in your life. In your school, in your place of work, in your house. When you see them, see them. I speak personally now. I have this tendency to rush, to be too busy, to be too occupied, to feel too important, to see people. When you see people this week, see a cross. See a cross on every single one of them. See them as Jesus sees them as someone whose needs are more important than my own. Brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, 
Jesus proved his greatness through service, through sacrifice. May how we live in this world be the same. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, amen.